Well, good to be with you this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Thankful that you would join us this morning. What a beautiful morning it is out here. Um, excited to get to open God's Word with you guys together. Uh, if you are new or visiting, welcome. We are in the middle of a series walking through the book of Ruth. And Ruth is a short book in the Old Testament, just four chapters, yet it contains what is probably one of the most compelling stories in all of Scripture. There is tragedy and loss and despair, and there's triumph, and there's, and there's loyalty and sacrifice. There's even a little bit of romance, right? It, it has got a little bit of something for everyone in it. And, and it's, what makes the story of Ruth even better is that it's not just a story about something that happened 3,000 years ago. Instead, what we see is that the story of Ruth is really a glimpse into the bigger story that we are all actually a part of, the story of God's redeeming work in the world. And, and so in that way, it's a, it's a story that isn't just about something that happened long ago, but it's a story that gives us a glimpse into something that's happening still today. And so in chapter 1, we saw how, how in this story of redemption, it begins in the context of this situation that had kind of gone from bad to worse to just straight up full-on catastrophic, right? Uh, this, uh, the story takes place in the time of the Judges, which was a period in Israel's history that was characterized by sin and rebellion and running from God. And things have gotten so bad that there is a famine in the promised land. And in the midst of all this, we, uh, we meet a guy named Elimelech who decides that he's, he's not only going to move his family out of the promised land, he's actually going to move his family to a land, the land of Moab, which was an evil, pagan, sexually perverse society. And, and shocker, uh, it, it does not go well for them, right? By the end of verse 5 in chapter 1, he's dead, his two sons are dead, and he's left his wife and all these widows to fend for themselves in the, in the, middle, of, in the middle of Moab. It's a, it's a picture of absolute devastation and of desperation. But what we see is that all hope wasn't lost. You see, in the midst of sin and death and rebellion and people running from God, God wasn't absent, he wasn't disengaged, he wasn't far off, he wasn't unconcerned. Instead, what we see is that God is sovereignly and lovingly, he's actually pursuing the good of his people. We saw in verse 6 that Naomi had heard that God had visited his people in Bethlehem and they had, he had provided food for them. And so Naomi, she decides that she's going to head back to Bethlehem, back to God's place and God's people. And, and she urges her daughters-in-law to, to stay in Moab where they're at, to, to have lives there, to start over there. And, and one of them does, but Ruth, we see in chapter 1, she refuses. And in verse 16 and 17, we saw that she just makes this incredible declaration of faith and of commitment. She Not only to Naomi, but more importantly, we see her making this declaration of faith and commitment to God. She says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will Will stay. She says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. You see, what's happening in, in Ruth chapter one is that Ruth, she is, she is going all in on God and on his people being the one way forward for her. And so chapter one, it kind of ends on this hope-filled cliffhanger. Uh, Naomi and Ruth have come back to Bethlehem. They've come back to God's place and God's people just as a harvest is beginning. And they come with no family. They come with no food, no futures to, to, to that they can speak of. But, but God is actually in the works. He is about to change all of that. He's about to change all of that. In chapter two, we saw how Redemption, it begins by finding favor in the eyes of a redeemer. 
You see, Ruth goes out in the harvest fields to glean some of the leftover grain in chapter 2, and by God's sovereign and good hand, she finds herself in the fields of a man named Boaz, who, as we saw last week, becomes for Ruth and Naomi this personification of God's redeeming favor in their lives, of his grace, his kindness, his compassion, which is the very thing that we all need most, especially we see in the story Ruth and Naomi and so the favor that, that Boaz shows Ruth, we see, is incredibly abundant. It is lavish. It is, it is overwhelming. By the end of the chapter, not only is Ruth's stomach full, but she's brought home months' worth of food back to Naomi. And Ruth, she is stunned. She's stunned at Boaz, at the favor Boaz shows her. She was poor, widowed, Moabite. No one noticed her except to look down on her. And, and yet Boaz has shown her such incredible, lavish favor and she asks the question that everyone is thinking. She asks the thing everyone's wondering. She just says, why? Why have you shown me such favor? And Boaz responds by telling her that the reason that he has shown his such abundant favor to her is, is not because he had heard about her sacrificial actions, her good behavior, and that he wanted her to know that God just repays good behavior. That's, that's not the point. He goes on, he says, rather it's because that her actions have revealed the reality that she had taken refuge under God's wings of protection. I quoted John Piper last week when he said this. He said, the reason why Ruth has found favor with Boaz and with God and the reason why anyone finds favor with God is not that she has performed and that God is impressed, but rather that her acts of love have flown out from a childlike hiding in the grace of God. And so by the end of chapter 2, things are going incredible. Ruth comes back to Naomi with more grain than either of them could have hoped for in many weeks. And Ruth, she still doesn't even realize how good her day has been until Ruth, until Ruth she tells Naomi whose field she's been gleaning in. And You see, because Boaz, he wasn't just a godly man who had generously shown favor to Ruth and towards Naomi. Instead, what we see is that Naomi tells Ruth that he was a guardian redeemer, a close relative, a guardian redeemer. And we didn't have time last week to dive into that part of the story because we were already going long, but, but uh, that, that idea, of a, the idea of a guardian redeemer is central to the story of Ruth and especially to where we're headed in chapter 3. And so before we dive into our passage this morning, I just wanted to just give you a bit of context on that idea of, of a guardian redeemer. Other translations, you may have heard uh, use the phrase a kinsman redeemer. You see, in the law, what God had done is he had set up a way for close relatives a guardian or a kinsman, to, to provide for or to redeem family members who had found themselves in destitute or desperate circumstances. For example, if, if someone was going to lose their land because of poverty, then, then the redeemer was a relative who could come and pay off the debt and provide for this family. If, if someone had sold themselves into servitude in order to pay off a debt, which was common in those days, then a redeemer is the relative who would come and could purchase the freedom of that family member, of that individual. Or if, like we see happening here in Ruth, if a, if a man had died and left a widow with no sons to care for her or to carry on the, the family and the and the name to inherit the family's land, then the Redeemer was a relative who could come along and not only care for this widow, but who would through her to father a son that would carry on this family's name and this family's legacy. And we often think about that as just kind of like a little bit weird, like just some kind of family member coming in and helping to extend a family. But, 
But that's because we misunderstand the importance of, of what it meant to be uh, the people of the promised land. And, and so there's this incredible importance on being a, God's people in God's place and of God's families continuing on. And so Naomi, she's incredibly excited, not only because she sees it through Boaz, God's meeting their need for food, but at the end of chapter 2, she is, she's almost giddy because, because she sees that God is about to meet their greater need for a family and for a future and, and for a hope for anything going forward. And so at this point, as, as the reader, as the listener, you, you're stoked, right? You can pretty much hear the wedding bells ringing, right? The triumphant music is like starting to fade up in the background, right? Like the, everything's starting to go really well. My wife's about to give me one of those like happy snuggles because like ever, the movie's about to end with a happily ever after, right? She's like, oh, it's going to be so good, right? And yet chapter two, it ends on like just the most anticlimactic statement ever, right? Says, so Ruth stayed in close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Right? And you're just like, ah, where is this going? Right? I thought well, I thought we were headed towards like a wedding and everything was going to be amazing. You're thinking, what? Like she's living with her mother-in-law. What is happening here? What's the deal, Boaz? Get 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 it together, man. Like, can we can we move the story along? What is the holdup? Are you going to be this redeemer or not? And that brings us to chapter 3 this morning. And so what I want to do is I'll read our passage this morning, and we'll pray and dive into God's Word together, all right? We're in Ruth chapter 3 this morning, beginning in verse 1. And one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, had said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. And now Boaz, uh, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. And tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So wash and put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes and then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law had told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he said. I am your servant, Ruth, she responded. Spread the corner of your garment over me. And since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, the Lord bless you, my daughter, who replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier, for you have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid, for I will do all that you ask, for all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. So stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to do his duty as the guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So lie here until morning. And so she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And she said, no one must know that a woman has come to the threshing floor. And he also said, bring me your shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured out six measures of barley and placed it, uh, the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And she told everything that Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. 
Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we just humbly say we really need you. We need you to be showing us uh, what is true about your word and what is true about you through it. And God, we just, uh, we just say we, we need you for that. We can't just reason our way into understanding it rightly or responding to it rightly. Uh, we need you by your spirit to make that possible in us. And so we, we just humbly ask that for our good and for your glory, God, that you would do that. And so we look forward to meeting you in your word this morning. So amen. Amen. Well, chapter 3 opens here in Ruth, and, and Ruth has been gleaning every day in Boaz's fields for the whole harvest season. It's probably somewhere between six and eight weeks worth of time here. And after the first day, this incredible meeting with Boaz, there's like sparks flying and, and there's hope in the air, right? Just nothing. No phone calls, he doesn't, he doesn't follow up, there's no retweets, right? Like nothing, nothing is going on, right? Ruth is left wondering, she's like, where... Where are we? Like, are we friends? Are we more than friends? Like, we desperately need to have one of those define the relationship talks here because I have no idea what is happening, right? And harvest season is, is about to end and time is running out. Ruth's, Ruth's temp job of gleaning in the fields, in Boaz's field, they're, they're about, they're, that's about to be over. They are about to go their separate ways. And so Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, she hatches a plan and, and, and before we break down the plan here, I'm just going to shoot straight with you, right? Uh, it's kind of sketchy, right? It's, 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 it's a risky plan, to say the least. I, it's not one of those things where you're like, oh, everyone, pay attention. You're going to want to do this in your life as well, right? Uh, you see, I love how one of the commentators, he writes it this way, he says, the delicacy of this scheme is obvious. The potential for disaster is extreme, right? Like, it, it, it's not like this brilliant, like, oh, well, if we just understood the culture, it'd be this amazing plan. You're like, it's not, it's not a great plan, right? And it, it's at this point, again, I want to remind us that especially when we're reading narrative sections of Scripture, right, Scripture doesn't always tell us what we are supposed to do. Sometimes it just tells us what happened, right? Sometimes the ideas aren't that great, right? And God sovereignly works in the midst of it. This is one of those situations, right? So it's important. This is not a prescriptive text, it's a descriptive one. It just tells us what happens. And so Naomi, she says, Ruth, Ruth, I need to find you a home. Literally, that word in, in verse 2 there for home, it means I need to find you rest. It, it's the kind of rest that the Bible refers to that's associated with, with a, a, a wife coming under the protection and provision of a loving husband. And so Naomi, as she says to Ruth, she says, you, you need a husband, lady. And Boaz, he is the one. He is the one for you, Right? And we've been waiting long enough for him to kind of get his act together and make a move. And for whatever reason, he has not done that. So we're going to kind of like just scooch the story along here, right? We're just going to give him the little nudge. We're just going to get in his way a little, right? And just see what happens. You see, up until this point, Boaz, he's been in the middle of harvest season, right? And if any of you have come from agriculture backgrounds, you know, like that is like the absolute busiest time of anyone's year. There's like you know, you're working more hours in a week than there are hours in a day, right? It's just, it, it's crazy. There's, there's a lot going on. And so it's not like Ruth could have just kind of walked up to Boaz in the field and just been like, hey, have you thought about marrying me or anything like that, right? You know, have we, anyone, anyone gonna, no? See, it's not like that could have happened. And so Naomi is saying, all right, so tonight, tonight is the night, right? Boaz hasn't made his move yet, but tonight is the last night of the harvest, and there's this unique opportunity. You see, Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor, and threshing was kind of the final step in the harvest process. And 
So after they would have gathered all the grain, they would have brought it to the threshing floor, and they kind of like tossed the grain up, and, and the chaff or kind of like the casing floats away, and the, and the grain falls to the floor. And what would happen is that the, the, the harvesters would, would then kind of sleep next to the grain that night so people wouldn't come steal all their hard work, all their harvest. And, and so Naomi says, time's running out. It's now or never. We've got we to make it happen. So verse 3, she says, go get cleaned up, put on some nice perfume, put on your best clothes, Go get all cleaned up, put on some nice perfume, right? Get and head down to the threshing floor. And, and this is more than just Naomi telling Ruth, like, take a shower. You don't really smell that good. It's been a long harvest season, right? Like, that's not really what's going on here. Instead, what we see is well, there's, a similar, there's a similar story we see in 2 Samuel chapter 20 where King David, he does the same thing. He, he washes himself. He puts on new clothes and, and, oil, and oil on his head. And, and, and he's doing that to signify that he's leaving behind a time of mourning. His son had died and. And so this is kind of the signal that he's moving on. He's, he's taking a next step. And so what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is she's saying, you've been a widow for these years. You, you have been in a state of mourning for all this time. It's, now, it's, time, it's time to make clear that you are moving on to the, a next season of life, that you are an eligible bachelorette, right? Also, smelling better is not going to hurt, right? And so she says to, to, to Ruth, go get ready, then head down to the threshing floor. And when you get there, stay hidden. Make sure you pay attention to where Boaz lies. And after he's asleep, go uncover his feet and lie down next to him, and he'll take it from there. And if you are one of the original hearers of this text, you are like blushing Pretty, pretty seriously, right? If you have kids, you are like doing that quick reach where you're like trying to cover their ears, right? Because you're like, I don't know where this is going. Like this is kind of awkward, right? You see... I just want to be clear here. Naomi is not telling Ruth to cross any lines. She's, there's, she's not telling Ruth to cross any sexual boundaries. She's not telling her to do this. But it does seem like she is telling her to walk up to that line as close as you can get and kind of dance vigorously near it, right? Like, it is, it, it is, it is a, it's, it's not this genius plan, but, but it is what they need to do. And so Ruth, she does what Naomi tells her to do. In the middle of the night, something startles Boaz, probably the breeze on his blanketless feet, right? My wife tells me she knows what that feels like. Apparently, I steal the blankets all the time. I don't know. I'm sleeping. It's not my fault, right? <laughs> but, but getting awoken when you've lost your blankets, that's just like startling, right? And so I imagine then it says he found, and there was a woman at his feet, right? And I actually just imagine Boaz just like doing one of those kind of hushed, like frantic whispers, like, what is, who is this? What is happening? What is going on? Ruth responds, she says, it is, your, it is I, your servant, Ruth. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. I just want to be clear. That, that's not some kind of sexual innuendo. That's not what's, what's happening here. Instead, that, that word garment is actually the same word that is translated as the word wings in chapter 2. When Ruth says, when, when Boaz prays that, uh, he, he prays that God would bless Ruth because she's come to take refuge under God's wings of protection. And so what Ruth is saying to Boaz here, she's saying, Boaz, you, you remember when you prayed that God would richly bless me, that he would richly repay me because I've taken refuge under his wings, under his garment of protection. Any chance you want to be the answer to that prayer, right? Any chance you will be willing to, to be the guardian redeemer to spread your wings of protection over me? Will you be our family's guardian redeemer? 
And I just want to just take a moment here to be clear that Ruth is, she's not putting her hope in a guy here. She's, she's put her hope in God and in his ways and in his, the ways that he has set up for, for, for family to take care of one another. And, and, and so she's not just trying to run after some guy thinking, I got to do whatever it takes and this guy will be the one who will rescue me and will save me and, and he'll, all my hope is in him. That's, that's not what's happening here. What we see is that Ruth is, she has put her hope in God's ways and in his plans and, his, and in his people as a way forward for her, as the one way forward for her. And she's not chasing down some relationship thinking that it will be the thing that saves her. She's, she is exercising a faith in the means that God has set about to, to redeem and to rescue his people and people that are in the situations that she is in. And so Ruth we see her, she, she basically, she kind of pops the question to Boaz. She says, Boaz, will you be our family redeemer? Basically, she's saying that she wants him to marry her and to through her to, to raise up a son who will carry on her family. And, and for a few seconds, you imagine there is this, uh, there is this pause where her future and her life and everything she's got going on is kind of hanging in the balance. And how will Boaz respond? How will he respond to this, to this request? Oddly enough, it's the husbands in the room who probably know what those few seconds feel like, right? Between when you ask someone to marry you and when they respond to you, right? And Boaz, he responds after these moments of silence, he responds with this resounding yes, but. And in Boaz's response, what we see is not only what was keeping him from taking a next step with Ruth, but also... We see the two things that were necessary for someone to be a guardian redeemer. You see, first, to be a guardian redeemer, you, you had to be able to be a redeemer, which meant that you had to have both the rights and the resources. You see, there was a family line here. It, it wasn't just anyone could act as a redeemer. It was, there was a clear order of things. You needed to be the next closest relative, and Boaz wasn't. Verse 12, he says, it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, but there is another who is more closely related than I am. You see, Boaz hasn't made a move here. He hasn't taken a next step as to, to act as Ruth's redeemer because it is not his place to do it. There's another who is closer than him who, who would be the one who should be taking a next step with regards to this. You see, and it was only if this near kinsman was unable to do it that Boaz would step in, that he could step in. And so you needed to have the right to be able to be a redeemer. You needed to be the next closest in line, but you also needed to be able to have the resources to be a redeemer. You see, to act as a guardian redeemer was an incredibly costly thing. You see, it would require you to give up a significant portion of your own livelihood and your own inheritance in order to provide for another family. And as we'll see next week the, with this nearer kinsman, that, that he simply does not have the resources that are needed to be able to act as a redeemer. But we see in the story that Boaz, he does. Throughout the book, he, we see not only that he has great resources, that, that he's a man of standing, but what we also see is that he is exceedingly generous. He's exceedingly generous. That brings us to the second thing, the second and probably most important thing that was necessary to act as a guardian redeemer. It says a, a guardian redeemer needed to be willing to do it. 
You see, you could be able to. You could have the right, you could have the resources, but you, if you didn't have the willingness to act as a redeemer, then it wasn't going to happen. And what man of standing, what, what man of standing would want to be willing to act as a redeemer of this destitute, widowed foreigner, no less a Moabite, a, a, a member of the people that God looked down on, they hated almost. And yet what we see is that in verse 10, that Boaz is not only willing to redeem Ruth, he is honored that she would even ask him to do it. He says to her, the Lord bless you. This kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. For you've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now don't be afraid, for I will do all that you ask. You need, you need to see the, the significance of Boaz's words here. You see, he is under no obligation to act as Ruth's redeemer. He, is, he didn't have to do it. It's not his duty. He is not the closest relative. He doesn't need to sacrifice his earnings and his wealth and, and his place and his inheritance to provide for Ruth and to provide for Naomi. And yet he chooses to do it. He chooses to go far above and beyond in making a way of provision for these women. You see, and his willingness to be Ruth's redeemer, it highlights for us the reality that redemption is always an act of grace. Redemption is always an act of grace. Boaz, he did not, it was not required of him to act. Yet we see he goes above and beyond in grace to do it. And in seeing Boaz's grace-filled response to Ruth's request for redemption, we see this beautiful picture of the gospel and of the way that God chooses to relate to us. You see, remember, the whole point of Ruth is not to give us examples to imitate. The whole point of the book is, is not to give us morals to implement in our lives. Instead, the whole point of the book and of every story in the scriptures is to reveal to us the very nature and character of a sovereign and good God who himself is weaving together the very nature of the story. You see, what Naomi and what Ruth needed most wasn't simply a redeemer to rescue them from their earthly needs for food and for family and for a future. See, rather, what they needed most is a heavenly redeemer who would come to rescue them from their sin and bring them into his family. You see, that's the same thing that you and I need as well. Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we are born dead in our transgressions and sins, that we're deserving of wrath, that we that we are excluded from citizenship amongst God's people, that we are foreigners to the covenants of promise, that we are without hope and without God in the world. Oh, but when we see Jesus, Jesus is the true and better redeemer that, Bo that Boaz is always meant to point us to. You see, he is not only able to redeem us from our sin and our rebellion and our hopelessness, but he is willing to do it. You see, what we see is that Jesus left his throne in heaven and not only came near to us, but the scriptures tell us became like us, even calling us his brothers so that, so that he had the right to, as our nearest kinsman to be our redeemer. And we see that he lived the life that we could not live, a life of perfect obedience unto God, perfect obedience without sin. And so he not only has, is able by having the right, he is able because he has the resources, he has the perfect righteousness which God requires to be able to pay the price for our redemption. And on the cross, what we see is that Jesus is not just able, but that he is willing like Boaz, he is graciously willing, despite the enormous cost, to redeem anyone who by faith 
would ask him to be their redeemer. You see, when we sit here today, we read Boaz's words to Ruth. He says to her, do not fear. I will do all you ask. I will redeem you. What we're doing is we're getting a preview of the words that Jesus promises to speak to anyone who asks him to be their redeemer as well. Do not fear, my child. I will do all you ask. I will redeem you, Jesus says to us. You see, and the question is whether or not we will ask him to be our redeemer. You see, Jesus is under no obligation to rescue us. He, it's not his duty, it's not his job. We are the ones who have chosen to run from him in sin and rebellion. Oh, but if we will humble ourselves, admit our need for him, in faith come to him, admitting our need and asking him to redeem us from our sin and from our rebellion, which alienates us from him, not only will he sovereignly and graciously do all that is needed to redeem us, but like we see happening in this passage, as Boaz does through, he makes her a channel of God's redeeming purposes in the lives of others. The chapter ends with Boaz's promise to redeem Ruth, but it also ends with a sign of his redeeming intent for Naomi. He sends Ruth back with this abundant gift for her, for her mother-in-law, and the message is clear. Naomi, you, you may have felt like you have come back empty, that you have no hope, that you have nothing here, but I need to remind you God is making a way for you, and where once you, all you sensed was emptiness, I need you to see there is a fullness that God is making a way for you in. And he's doing it because of his grace. You see, the story of Ruth is a picture of the gospel for us. And the gospel is what we are remembering and celebrating when we take communion together every week. It's, it's God's redeeming grace, his unmerited grace and his unmerited compassion, his unmerited favor that he shows to us and proves to us in the cross that we're reminding ourselves of, that we're remembering that he wasn't only able to rescue us, but he was willing to redeem us and, and that in love he chose to do it, not because we deserved it, not because we were worthy of it, not because he was forced to or because he had to, but instead in paying the price for our redemption, we see his love for us, his choice to pursue us in our need for him. Communion, it doesn't make you right with God, it doesn't save you, it doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember Jesus, our glorious Boaz, who has come to redeem a people by his grace. And so as we sing and as we worship as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you put your trust in Jesus, then whenever you are ready, in joy and in thankfulness unto him, I would encourage you to take communion. If you miss the, the elements on your way in, there's a table at the back where you can find them. And you don't need to be a member here. You just need to have asked Jesus to be your redeemer. But if not, I'd encourage you to hold off on taking communion this morning if Jesus is not yet the one who you have asked to be your redeemer, then I'd encourage you, hold off on taking communion. Instead, come to him. Admit to him that you are in need of his rescue and his redemption and humility. Ask him, as Ruth asked Boaz, to be your redeemer. I guarantee you that will feel risky. It will feel like you're putting your hope in something you don't know the answer to but you can be sure that Jesus will respond as Boaz did to Ruth. Do not fear, for I will do all you ask.
I will redeem you. And so as we take communion this morning, I would encourage you, sing, talk with God. For those of you who have not yet asked Jesus to be your redeemer, to, to meet you in your need for redemption, I'd encourage you, just be honest with him about what's keeping you from asking him to be the redeemer that you need him to be for you. Maybe it's doubt, or maybe it's fear, or maybe it's a sense of unworthiness, or whatever it is, I would encourage you, talk with God about it. Bring it to him. Ask him to meet you in whatever is keeping you from coming to him. And for those of us who, who by faith have come to Jesus and asked him indeed to be our redeemer, I encourage you this morning as we remember the story of Ruth to allow a joyfulness and a gratitude for the gospel to well up in your heart as you're reminded that Jesus went far above and beyond all that was asked of him to come and to in grace to be your redeemer. Let that fill your heart with a gladness and a joyfulness and a gratitude unto him and it overflows into a life of worship lived for him. More than that, though, ask Jesus, as Ruth did, as Ruth uh, caused us to, to see, that he would cause you to be a channel of his redeeming work in the lives of others. For your good, for your joy, more than anything, for his great glory. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you this morning, and uh, I know that I've gone long in my time this morning, God, but I pray that you'd be gracious to, to allow uh, your word to sink into our hearts. God, in spite of me, God, I pray that the goodness of your word and your offer to be our redeemer would be good news in our hearts and in our eyes this morning. Jesus, we need you to be a redeemer that we cannot be for ourselves, that no one and no other thing can be for us. Jesus, only you can pay the price that is due for our sin and our rebellion, and only you have. And so we ask, God, that by faith you'd help us to come to you. God, for some, the first time this morning, for others, God, in a joyful remembrance of all that you've done for them, let our worship be a song, and songs be, be praise unto you. God, thankfulness for all that you've done, our Redeemer. Amen.